Yeah, well, at least these drivers aren't starting a, a small media company because that'd be the stupidest thing two drivers could do. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're live. Welcome to Money Lab Podcast. I'm Parker Klugman, joined as always by Landon Castle. This is our podcast about all things motorsports. Check out the Money Lap newsletter at themoneylap.com. We'll be in your inbox three times a week with the best things in motorsports. Hit some pretty cool metrics on the newsletter this week. Some big uh, benchmarks for us. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, Landon, we start with the PR mm. lap, though. But before we do that, just a quick synopsis of what you can expect on a gargantuan episode of the Money Lab. Short track fights, DQs in, the tr- yeah, DQs in the truck series, and F1. Myself and Dale Jr. got to race each other at Homestead Miami Speedway. Huge moment for me. Uh, track limits. It's been a massive discussion over the weekend from the USGP. I got involved on, in this discussion on social media. It went slightly viral. Even Dale Jr. commented on that as well. We'll get into that a little bit more. And then an article dropped by Jenna Fryer and the Associated Press today, Wednesday, October 24th, discussing Andretti's bid for a Formula One team, the millions they've spent on making a car to put in the wind tunnel, even without having this team confirmed, and that it may be personal as to why Andretti may not get an F1 team. So we'll dive into that article as well, which will be really interesting. And we have some sprint car racing news and some news from Formula E testing. So a lot out there. Uh, On the PR lap, Landon, we only had two comments on YouTube. No new reviews on Apple. We are really, really upset about this. So please do that. It's also not Wednesday. It's Tuesday, October 24th. I've gotten that wrong. Um, NASCAR <laughs> guy 8072 said, I don't believe NASCAR lacks star power. I think it's in a transition stage with great racing yet to come. I don't know if he got our point from last week, did he? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if he got the point there but i do agree there is a uh, great racing yet to come i wonder what he means by transition stage what are we transitioning from and to i think maybe from the stars NASCAR guys share with us let's know what you think yeah stars of the past i don't know yeah help us out here uh speedway labs dev since you guys forgot about him i hope dale jr ships a fat w running the wall he was referencing him running at homestead well he was kind of close finished fifth so Good by him. Did we forget? Did we forget about Dale Jr. last week? Did we just not talk about him running Homestead? A hundred percent. Is that what totally he means? Is that what? Well, you know what? If there's one thing we should not forget about, it is Dale Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dale Jr. sells a lot of diecasts. So if you want some Dale Jr. diecast, you should check out SpoilerDieCast.com. With one of the largest inventories in the industry, they have over 800 unique products currently in stock, including diecast and apparel offerings for NASCAR, dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, and F1. And with their pre-order system in place, you can be sure to get your hands on the latest diecast releases without the long wait. What's even better? All orders ship same or next day. They offer free shipping on orders over $20. Plus, use the promo code MONEYLAP to receive free shipping and 5% off all orders. Now, even better than that, if you spend over 50 bucks, I think it is, there's still a couple Lane and Castle diecasts left. That's me. I signed them. Voyager cars from last year. You get one for free if you spend over 50 bucks on spoilerdiecast.com. Um, don't wait. Head to spoilerdiecast.com. Get your race fix, Parker. Well said. Yes, please do. Check it out. You know, they only have a couple of your diecasts left, <laughs> which means that it's been working. You listeners have been using the promo code, getting those Landing Castle uh, diecasts, and therefore making us look really valuable to our uh, partnerships here with Spoiler Diecast. So we appreciate that. It's very, very impressive, or very helpful for us over here. Shall we dive into the biggest news around the world? I said this was going to be a big episode. We probably should get started. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start this one a little differently. Normally, we dive into NASCAR, Formula One. Nope, we're going to the short track world. And guess what? Just There was once again another <laughs> brawl <laughs> post-race of a short track late model race at Tri-County Speedway. As these two cars came to the checkered flag, they got into each other in three and four. Basically, the second-place car put his right front into the left rear of the other car basically spun them out the other this was Caden Quapple and Ashton Higgins Ashton Higgins was the leader at the time 
Um, I'm sorry, not Caden Koppel. Caden Koppel was the one who won after this whole thing went down. Gavin Bochel was the driver of the second place car. Now, the incident on track was interesting, Landon, because they do come together in a way that you could say was maybe a race incident, maybe a little over-aggressive in the final corner, whatever it is. But it's what happened after that seems to be happening more and more at the short track, late model level. What is happening in short track racing? You come from this world. What is going on? Why is there so many fights? Um, I don't know. It's so the, the, I think I, I tweeted about this and said that it, you know, I was less concerned about what the 25, which is the, the aggressor in this deal did to the nine, which was the one that got dumped. Uh, but the, you know, the move was aggressive, probably too much had a pretty, in my opinion, look like a 0% chance of working out, <laughs> um, to be a clean move. And uh, spun the guy out, obviously, backed him into the fence, won the race. And then what happened after was was frustrating to see as a as a racer because you saw a teenage kid, I think. Um, I think Ashton is, um, you know, hop out of his car in frustration on the racetrack, leap over the roof of his car, run across a hot racetrack. Um, you know, there could have been traffic coming. There could have been a... a safety vehicles driving by pace car, whatever um, jump over pit wall and basically reach into the window of a moving vehicle on pit road, the 25 car Gavin. Um, and then, you know, maybe try to take a swing at him. And then there was when Gavin got out of his car, there's crew members pulling each other off. It just created mayhem. Um, yep. And it's, it's frustrating. Um, because it, it it's frustrating because you can say what you want about the move that was made and the wreck that happened and it shouldn't have happened and he made a bat you know whatever what he deserved um but there's we're talking about teenagers that nobody deserves to whoop anybody's ass I, that's a, and i'm re- referring a tweet that i actually responded to it's like well that guy deserves to get his butt whooped and i'm like no Nobody at this level, these guys are, these are our future stars. These are the, these are the kids that are going to become NASCAR drivers. Um, at this level, nobody needs to get anybody's ass whooped. Um, they, this is where they learn and Hey, it's unfortunate that the driver got wrecked and it's unfortunate that it was an egregious wreck, but we don't need to be reacting like that. Um, it, it's not just, I mean, expressing emotions is okay, but like, just putting yourself in danger, running across the track, putting your, you know, getting your, the people, the crew members on pit road riled up and basically, you know, in, in, I'm using a horrible word here, but it's like inciting this, this, you know, brawl. Um, it's just unnecessary. It's wrong. And, um, I don't know why we're seeing more of it. I don't know. I don't know where this is coming from. I mean, I feel like they, they, we see this at the, professional level maybe things start at the top i mean we've had several fights on pit road this year um i mean that's i guess we've never been any strangers to that in nascar but um i don't know where it's coming from or why it's happening what i find interesting is we we've been around the short track culture before and i think there is an element of the enjoyment around this sort of thing, right? The idea that this can happen. There's the glorification mm-hmm. of it from the Madhouse show that was on History Channel a while back about Bowman Gray and the craziness that comes out of that place and the cops and everything, right? I think the the part to me that gets really interesting is, is like, okay, I understand the driver's frustration. I get, you know, making it known you're angry, right? I understand having the emotion of wanting to fight. Although, like, personally, I've been close to that. I've never gotten to where I actually fought the person, um, but I've been there. I've been that angry. <laughs> what I don't appreciate is the people that come in 10, 15, 20, 45 seconds, and maybe minutes later into the brawl to then just agitate things. There is a guy in this video that I swear – I didn't do the timing on it, but I swear it has to be 45 seconds after the initial fight breaks out of just like 20 people going everywhere – he runs from the front stretch, runs up to this guy, and just rips his shirt off him. <laughs> I'm like, what? What are you even doing? 
so, you know, that's the part to me that gets really disappointing. You, you can have the drivers be frustrated and fight. Maybe they're significant other or like crew chief forever. I get that. And it's not, I'm not condoning it, but I'm just saying like, I get it. When it's the guy who just looked like he came from three rows back in the stands, <laughs> runs through the front well, stretch and gets involved. I, I'm going to stop BS you there for a second. It's, no, it's BS. I mean, it, it's tough because you, you know, I can't, I don't want to say that like we don't ever should, you know, fighting shouldn't be allowed or hard nose, you know, hard line on fighting, or maybe we should at that level. I don't know because you have this balance between, you know, Bowman Gray culture where that's part of the show and then, you know, short track racing anywhere else. And we always, ha we, it, there's all these blurry lines on how we cast judgment on what, whether fighting is allowed. And you're even, you're even doing it yourself right there by saying, well, I'm okay if the driver or the crew chief or someone close to them. My point is saying when the driver, if anybody, especially at the top of the food chain, like the driver, that's the tippy top of the food chain on these deals. If that driver gets out of the car and, and is not, cannot show, you know, control over his emotions, the, the, that energy bleeds out to his team and they're going to get just mm -hmm. as mad as him. And that's their permission to go get into a fight. And yep. that's, that's what turns into a brawl, you know, in this, this deal turned into a brawl because you had a 16 year old kid, you know, just lose his mind and try to jump into a moving car and well, it just it, it's it, hmm. uh ashton is 20 a 21 year old <laughs> okay so he's gonna attack a 16 year old kid like is that what he was trying to do i, I don't know yeah i mean yeah you know it's just like what are we what are we doing here yeah why why is this becoming the reaction to everything and then you know i don't know the people's reactions online is saying that gavin deserved to get his to get it deserved it and it's just like i don't know he didn't deserve anything he just you know it was a it was a maybe it was a bad move fine i mean bad moves happen we could talk about where the bad moves come from that's a, another great conversation does it come from does it come from internet racing i mean does it come from growing up you know spending uh, all this time playing you know racing simulations online where you know you don't have the same you can learn um while it's great that you get to learn these fundamentals of racing in a safe environment, are you, you know, are you learning by taking greater risks than you should be taking in real life? So that when mm. you go out into the real world racing, are you taking bigger risks? Um, and you're not programmed to, to pay the price for them. Like those of us that grew up without sim racing. I mean, those are conversations to be had. Um, I mean, how old are I, you? you? Know, some people I, might say it's a side effect of paid drivers, but I mean, it could well, be some of that. Like if the, the culture, it's short track racing, there's less drivers that are responsible for building their own cars and housing them themselves than maybe there ever was at these levels of racing. And that could have something to do with it. Pay driver culture, but we've always had pay drivers and I don't know, young drivers have always torn up stuff. I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of what late model racing is. It's just that it's just frustrating to me that like this is the proving ground for our talent. Gavin Bichelle is a really good driver. He has a Chevy emblem on his car for a reason, right? <laughs> he's in he's in the pipeline. Um, he's he's gonna go places, and I'm sure Ashton is too, right? But we don't we don't need to be um, we don't need to be reacting like this to these mistakes. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right to me. You know, it's so. First of all, I was gonna say, how old are you? If if sim racing seems new, because I think you and I both had sim racing. <laughs> so <laughs> we did have sim racing, but you know, now <laughs> sim racing is 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 earned its place, and rightfully so, because it deserves a place as another form of grassroots motorsports, right? Yes, yes, um, I agree. Sim 100%. racing is real racing. Sim racing is real racing, and it has a serious plays a serious role in the development of these drivers. Um, but you know, there, there couldn't be, there's definitely some unintended consequences to drivers being able to spend the majority of their time sim racing where there's less physical consequences to, um, things that happen. Right. Yep. Uh, now, well, hold on. So I, I think the funny part is if we wanted to just get a ton of clicks right now and get to clip this moment, mm -hmm. I could be like, yep. 
It's them pay drivers. Don't have any respect for equipment. They don't have to build their own cars. <laughs> like we could go down the litany of things here. Yeah, yeah they learned it in sim racing. And I, the reason I bring this up, not to to make fun of the internet, but the point being is that what's what's interesting is that short track racing, I believe right now, has never had more of the ability for people to pay attention, right? With Flow Racing and the streaming partners and that sort of thing that you can watch these races live now, Cars Tour live. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that when it's when it makes it to our podcast here, right? It's moments like this. And maybe that's just our that's the motorsports world right now. There's so much content, so many series that if you're short track mm-hmm. racing, which doesn't have, you know, these massive large scale events other than maybe, you know, the snowball derby that we're that more mainstream are gonna pay attention to, right? This is how that gets on the map, and maybe that's why we feel like there's more of this happening because we're just it's the only time we talk about it. Yeah, I mean it's that's that seems like the nature of social media right now is it highlights a lot of this stuff. Um and then it just gets amplified and talked about, and that could also be another thing. I, I'm gonna make one last comment about the whole pay driver thing. Um to your point there is anybody or any podcast or any, you know, any hot take that just wants to dumb down a pay driver to just being a pay driver um, is taking a cheap shot and a, and an uneducated mm-hmm. approach to what's really going on in the, at these racetracks. Um, and it's not, you know, you, you're not just blaming a pay driver because you're, you shouldn't be just blaming a pay driver because you're jealous that their dad has money or that they have a sponsor that you don't have. Um, and that doesn't matter if you're a competitor of theirs or just a, a, a podcast host or an innocent or a bystander that's just watching or a viewer um, because there's just more to it. And you want to, you want to talk about pay drivers and where they were. I mean, Joey Logano, when I raced late models against him had five full-time crew members and a tractor trailer <laughs> that was worth any, the same amount of money as any super late, uh, as any NASCAR team at the time. And he was running legends cars and super late models out of them. Um, and Joey Logano was a rich kid pay driver. Uh, you know, is with the best of them, right? And <laughs> I think he turned out just fine. Yep. And so, you know, it's it's if you want to blame, you know, Gavin or any the driving style of any of these guys and just say, well, he's just a pay driver, rich kid, um, then you're just it's disingenuous. You know, these guys put in hard work. Um, they want to be professional race car drivers. They're desirable race car drivers. They're just about desirable people to for marketing um, partnerships. There's a reason that they have these partnerships, whether they've got money or not. We can always say follow the money, right? You and I love doing that stuff, and we will. We will talk about funded drivers and things like that, but um, you got to go deeper. You got to go deeper with this stuff. Um, So interesting topics. We'll we'll be talking about development and drivers and, you know, unintended consequences of sim racing, all that stuff around here. It's uh, that was well said about the pay drivers, and you know we're, we're going to expand on that more as we go into further episodes because I think there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm not going to do it all in this episode. But it's uh, I think people would be surprised, and I think they'd be surprised what the actual industry opinion is in a lot of these circles about the the idea of quote unquote pay drivers versus not, and that at the end of the day somebody's got to pay for it. So probably you're all pay dri- everyone's a pay driver. Um, all right. Moving on. (laughs) In trucks, uh, Hosevar, Carson Hosevar, won and will lock himself in the championship four at Phoenix, which will be uh, Corey Heim, Carson Hosevar, Ben Rhodes, and Grant Enfinger. Kind of interesting for Grant Enfinger as GMS Racing has announced this is their last uh, year as a truck team to go into the championship four. Could they cap it all off with a championship? Um, Which would be interesting. Also, you, you were talking about this during the race. Zane Smith was disqualified from the truck race after they had a bit of a windshield <laughs> quote unquote failure. Um, it, it was quite obvious that their windshield was, was deforming. Um, so he was disqualified. Did we not talk about uh, the windshield deflection stuff on the podcast a few weeks ago when we were well, talking about innovation and innovating stuff or we sort of did. Didn't, so Kevin Harvey talked about that stuff. Kevin Harvick had the bolts loose at Talladega in the right. windshield. So right. that wasn't quite the right. deformation, but it was able to move or leak air, whatever you want to say. So uh, I, I feel like we talked about the windshield deformation stuff. Uh, uh, the, the Zane Smith thing was 
so interesting and funny to me to see. We haven't seen it in a while with these cars because we don't, the steel bodies have gone away. Um, on the next gen, obviously the Xfinity car, the steel bodies are away. NASCAR has been on top of checking that stuff. Um, you know, so I don't know where in the processing team was able to get the braces out of there or whatever. Maybe it was something that broke intentionally. Typically it's intentional. Um, but the, that trend first came around like 2000. Oof. Well, it's been around for a long time because when I was a Hendrick, in 2009, I think mm-hmm. I tested for, I tested a new deck lid build. Um, and I tested it with the 88 team at Rockingham. Yeah. Um, and they had two different deck lid builds. And one of them was the, just like the structure of the, what they called it, the package tray, which is like what holds up the deck lid. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had the, the stock one that, they always ran that was well supported. And then they had another one that inside of the steel deck lid, there's like sleeving and all this, or or like I say sleeving, there's just like all this supports and stuff and the supports, none of them were tack welded. It was really loose. And then the supports were really soft on the package tray. You could literally with your hand, just push it down. So it would make, (laughs) you know, the deck lid like sink and the spoiler go up. Um, And so I, they, I tested it one way and then they changed it all to the other package. I tested the other way and, you know, it was, it's crazy to think, but it was noticeably faster, right? Driving Mm. the car. I could tell how much more downforce and we went faster. So obviously they ran that. That was in 2009. Okay. In 2015, 16, 2015 and 16 is when we started, um, at least cars that I was driving, <laughs> some teams might've been doing it sooner, but 2015 and 16, um, they started deflecting the windshields. And so there was all kinds of different ways that teams would do it. You could pluck the, uh, they had the, the windshield brace might've had like a little, um, uh, a fastener or something. The driver could pluck the fastener out and make the brace come loose. And then the windshield would compress. I remember the first time I drove it <laughs> in a cup car was maybe at Kansas. And it actually deflected so much down the straightaway that I was like, Mr. Magoo, like my, my, <laughs> my I couldn't, it was, it took my eyes a bit to adjust to the looking out the windshield when the windshield went from like being concaved to, or, you know, convex to concaved, I guess you would say. Um, uh so the uh that was interesting and then and then another way that they started doing it was the roof is steel and the roof has these little you know uh steel just steel braces that are tack welded to the frame and then to the to the roof right above the windshield so they would also you know tack those in at a really low quality so that they would break in the middle of the race and then that Mm -hmm. compression of the windshield would also go all the way up to the roof. And so the roof would compress a little bit too. And then the teams would do the same thing on the back of the the windows. So the back of the windows would be loosened up and compressed. And so NASCAR would inspect that by going, you know, even on the pre-race grid, even after inspection, a lot of times an official will come over to your car and just push down on the windshield and on the roof and stuff, just to make sure that um, nothing, no funny business has happened between inspection and, and the grid. And, uh, um, so it's interesting that that truck, I, here, here's my analysis of the truck deal. And it's, it's very similar to the, um, remember the tire issue that we had, um, earlier this year with time of Jesse's car, right? I would be willing to bet that that team has noticed over the last several weeks or months or all season long that maybe NASCAR has not been inspecting the windshields like that yep. right maybe they're yep. not checking them on pit road maybe they're not you know may it, it may be something where the team noticed that maybe nascar was overlooking that and so the team you know pulled back an old playbook of of a faulty brace or something like that and uh and implemented it uh for that race so to your point um uh, they, they might have yeah. gone they might have gone a little too far with it or maybe it was a complete accident. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, uh, most of the time that stuff is not an accident. Well, and you, to your point, the trucks are kind of the last bastion of what we knew in the mid 2000s there in terms of customization in the cars yeah. and especially in the bodies and that sort of thing. And I can tell you from having dabbled in the truck series uh, the last couple of years, 
there is teams that are tr- very much sophisticated in identifying what NASCAR is checking, what they're not, and they are constantly pushing the envelope. And I think you see it uh, yeah. a few ways. When you see certain, sometimes car or trucks will sit on the pole or be way faster. Um, that team didn't, well, they built a better mousetrap, mousetrap, but they also knew they could push some areas because they were paying attention. Mm-hmm. So that's just how it goes to look at. And that this might be a little unfair and not, I'm going to say it anyways, because it's a total assumption. I don't, I don't know for sure, but you were several years removed now, especially with the next gen. We're a couple years removed from the officials having to look out for this stuff. Right. Yep. And on top of that, just like any other business, I I don't know who the, the roster is of officials right now in the truck series and in the cup series, but chances are the, the, it's not the exact same people inspecting trucks and cup cars today that it was three years ago. Um, what the last time they had to look for things like this. So you might have a batch of officials that are working in the garage right now that maybe there's less officials on the roster that are familiar with these little tricks. Yep. Um, so it's there's a lot of things that lead to you know old tricks becoming new again, right? I'm a little bit more critical of the tire tricks because they're just so egregious that it's you know cheating, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and and even this trick is a tough one it is, because if it was intentional, which it probably was, um, it's just you're just taking advantage. You're trying to take advantage of 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 <laughs> the moderator sleeping right yep <laughs> it's yep. it's that's all you're trying to do um because it's a known rule it's clear in the rule book that things need to be you know braced and um can't deflect or can't anything they're just they're just gambling that nascar was not going to look at it yep so let's move on from the truck series into the xfinity series sam Mayer won he's going to the championship for uh one of the big storylines in the xfinity series of just how that he and that one team have risen up as we went into the playoffs um at the right time yeah, they just they're peaking at the right time. It's been impressive, man. It's really impressive to watch because we all I think a lot of us in the sport felt like Sam Mayer had everything he needed to go win a lot of races in terms of the speed category. It was just putting races together. He's now doing that and he's doing it at a great rate. So uh he rightfully so I has a chance Sam to win a championship. Was, so I knew I, I felt like I knew what Sam was capable of. I trained with him a lot last year. Um and he was He's he was sneaky good to me, and it finally occurred to me what he's capable of when I saw him qualify on the pole at Charlotte last year, <laughs> because he ran a line that nobody else could run, um, or had the guts to run in qualifying. And you go back and watch it; it was it's it was really impressive the way he went, fired the car down into turn three, um, ran the top off a of, uh, off a of turn four just was a really impressive drive for qualifying. And when he did that, I was like, okay, it kind of was a culmination of everything I had been seeing in our training seen in our training together that I'm like, yeah, I think this guy's sneaky good <laughs> and he's only getting I like better. It. I like it. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have some time to break that sort of stuff down in the off season here when we, uh, we have a little more time. So I got to run the race, obviously finished P seven, um, went into the race thinking I had to get to use the wall. Uh, I did I used it a lot. Um, was able to create immense speed up there, but I knew going in, I was probably gonna have to take the risk to hit the wall. I hit it about eight times. Uh, on the ninth time, I cut a tire down. Uh, and as our producer Josh has written in our notes, I was in the wall, which for many of you will know that was the name <laughs> of my show on YouTube for a while with NBC. <laughs> so I did mention I got to run with Dale and Hart Jr. We raced each other the first stage like dogs. It was hilarious. I don't know if I've ever la- like smiled as much racing for twelve. Um. And it it was just, it was a fun time and super cool for me, considering it like 12 years old. If you had asked me that I'd be racing side by side with Dale Hart Jr., I would have fallen over and passed out. So um, <laughs> pretty cool. I hadn't got to do that really. So that was really cool. And yeah, I felt like for us, it was just a competitive day that we probably could have been more competitive, but I overstepped trying to, uh, to make up for some slow pit stops when I ended up hitting the wall. So that is... That was our race. There was, you know, I think our team did a great job. We're on a bit of a roll. We are in contention potentially for fifth in points, definitely for sixth in points. Um, so, you know, we're we're putting together at least a good season here to finish out, um, which is pretty exciting for obviously our team. 
So we got knocked out of the playoffs, but we still get a lot to fight for. And I think if we can just keep these sorts of runs up, um, scoring stage points and finishing the top 10 to top five, uh, I'd be very happy. So pretty, pretty cool. It's been a good year. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I thought this was one I feel that we like could you've go run win. even better this year than you thought you would. You know, I mean, I think we've been consistently, you know, like all types of tracks, I would say. Mm-hmm. We've been maybe a little better than I thought. And I think some of that was just me, like, not knowing if those are places I had not been in a long time. Like, could I rise up and be quick enough right away? I, you know, I think the one mm-hmm. thing we haven't done, really the one thing we haven't done is win a race. And to me, that's been disappointing because we've been so close. So, you know, I would have expected to win a race by now. And I thought this weekend may have been a chance to do that. But we're building the team up and we know Let's, areas got to be better. So, I'm excited to keep this moving over to Denny Hamlin because I'm seeing in your notes Denny getting called <laughs> a hack by Blaney for racing him tough. And I had some thoughts on what De- the, the Go ahead. Really, Denny losing it there at the end um and your and some thoughts there so but you lala you fired off and then i'll i'll chime in all right well before we leave xfinity just a shout out to riley herbst who's risen up and Stuart haas racing who seem to be bringing some really fast cars to the playoffs in the xfinity series so some interesting things going on there they've shown some immense speed let's move into the cup series as you mentioned uh christopher bell who went almost a lap down at one point was asked to really push, in which he responded, okay, I'll try now. One of the funniest moments ever. (laughs) Uh, He said it. He must uh, have because he ended up winning. (laughs) Well, yeah, but he said it facetiously, of course. Um, He ends up winning, which was pretty damn impressive. And But one of the biggest discussion, couple of things. One, Martin Truex Jr. and the 19 team continued their miserable playoffs. (laughs) They they didn't Mm. have a great day going. They had bad pit stops, and then they basically blew an engine. Um, so which puts them in a, ba- a really tough position at Martinsville and Denny Hamlin, who came in in a decent position, um, was having a decent day, was racing, uh, Ryan Blaney pretty hard towards the end of the race, running the outside lane, um, but gets by Blaney and suddenly has a failure into turn one at Homestead, just knocks down the wall, um, and was out of the race. Meanwhile, you know, he had raced Ryan pretty tough. Like they had a very much a side-by-side battle. And Ryan, you know, before a series of cautions, kind of had controlled the race, but it got away from him a little bit. And I know what was going through his mind, which is he had a car capable of winning that race. Here's a car that's now stopping mm-hmm. that by racing him side-by-side and so closely and side-drafting him and that sort of thing. And so he got frustrated. And after the race, let it be known that uh, he felt like Denny used Denny's term of a hack, call him a hack for doing it. So, um, yeah, some frustrated feelings, which we've all been there, but what's your, what's your assessment of what you saw there from these two on the racetrack? Well, I, I felt like Denny, um, didn't, I don't, I don't, I feel like he was focused on too much on Blaney in that time period and on those restarts where Denny was, you know, on the bottom on those restarts, he needed to be cheating Ryan up track and then taking max distance on the bottom to to clear blaney but instead he was he was trying to chase blaney up the track right so he was side downing he was side drafting him down the straightaway which is fine and in some cases you don't you don't have a choice right you're side by side with a guy you're gonna it's gonna slow you both down but he didn't he wasn't you know side drafting him down the straightaway and then and then max distance cut to the bottom in the corner to get clear of him, right? It was like he was mm-hmm. still kind of running side by side tight with him through the corner. And it, it, you're just, we've seen with this next gen car, they'll just seesaw and never, you won't ever clear each other. You have to get away from the other car to clear someone, right? Yep. Um, and I think what Denny was trying to do was he was trying to get his right rear, you know, on Blaney's left front and make Blaney tight, thinking he would clear Blaney that way. And it wasn't working. And it was just, it was the wrong move where I think, think what he should have done and of course i'm armchair quarterbacking this thing so i acknowledge that (laughs) um but i was this is what i was cheering for at the moment because i was cheering for denny to clear him and i i felt like denny needed to be um you know trying to take max distance to the bottom not necessarily trying to snuggle up to blaney too much through the corner the way he was because that's what allowed um who was it the first time that that Basically well, first passed them Bell, both into turn three. 
Or yeah, it was, it was Bell. a couple cars actually. I think it was Bell and Byron. Yeah. Yep. So that was that was my assessment of what um, I I wasn't too you know <laughs> Blaney's frustration. I was actually kind of shared the frustration with Blaney because I'm like I'm not. I mean I'm not calling Denny Hamlin a hack by any means, um, but but I was like I don't I don't think that Denny used the right chess move there is what i'm hmm. saying <laughs> interesting i'm not gonna disagree with you nor agree i think to me what this continually shows me is that mile and a half this car is incredibly vulnerable to two cars getting stuck side by side because it doesn't have the side force <laughs> you can have this moment where they they neither wants to give yeah. as a similar car they have the same amount of clean air in front of them and before you know it the two, you know, the car in front of them are two drives away because they just constantly can run side by side, which in the old cars or even the Xfinity cars, that outside car would eventually have the, the, the momentum or the advantage or the leverage to just take the air off them and, and get them loose and drive away. Right. And there's just not, it doesn't seem mm -hmm. to have the outside car has that tool in their toolbox. So Blaney is there with a guy in his left rear that he just can't seem to get rid of. <laughs> there's nothing he can do about mm -hmm. it. And you can't squeeze them anymore. And you can't, you know, there's nothing to do arrow effect wise to just get rid of them. So it's a, you're almost in this like stuck position. Whereas you put it, if Denny just eventually just dives to the bottom in one and two, like we see how the Xfinity cars and trucks, and that's how you clear yourself up, which he eventually did. That is what you're almost hoping for at some point because you're just slowing each other down. So um, I think it's just really representative of this car in that sense. And you, that bottom car has <laughs> a lot of, a lot of leverage in slowing you down and forcing you to be in that frustrated position. Definitely. Well, it was, uh, it has made the Martinsville race a must watch. If you're a Denny Hamlin fan, <laughs> can he find, can he find a way? Is it to... still his year? It's well, it is. Say, it's always his year until it's not. It is. Yes. And it still is because he still has a chance. And until we leave Martinsville and he's not in the championship for, it is his year to win the championship. Trust me. That is, that's just the way it is. Um, some news for NASCAR was we'll, we'll talk about the Formula One USGP later on in this episode. We have a lot to dive into the, in the F1 world. But before we get there, just a uh, feather in the cap for NASCAR. They, the NASCAR Cup Series, unsurprisingly, beat the U.S. Grand Prix by a massive margin uh, on, in terms of TV ratings. Even with all the hype surrounding Formula One, Drive Survive, all the social media hype, uh, it is still not nearly uh, the draw on TV that NASCAR Cup Series is. And the only place they maybe could have had a, a better situation would have been in the 18 to 49 demo, which though 15% of the Cup audience was in that demo and 36% or roughly or so of the F1 race. Um, but that basically puts them at the same amount. So pretty similar, except you get a lot more viewers in NASCAR. <laughs> well, we've been talking about F1 or the the tourists, the the tourists coming through. <laughs> motorsport tourist. <laughs> uh yeah. two yeah. guys that are that are not motorsport tourists. We're gonna switch gears here and wow, that was the worst. Why did I use a metaphor like that? God, that's terrible. Uh <laughs> Kyle Larson, Brad and Brad Sweet, who started this high limit sprint car series during midweek with these big uh prizes announced that they are buying the all-star sprint car series that was owned by tony stewart but which is cool and it's great to see them you know becoming the entrepreneurs in the sprint car world that they love so much um and sort of doing mm -hmm. something new and different the quote here from matt weaver on twitter of from tony stewart is incredible he and i quote he says there are some series owners who don't give a flying F about the competitors, and their actions have shown that. If it was going to go to anybody, it's going to two guys who are passionate about the sport and its longevity. <laughs> I love Tony Stewart. I miss you. Um, I mean, it, it's... It, I guess... Uh... Uh, he's, he's, I'm, I don't know. I don't know enough about sprint car racing, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, um, it's pretty cool to see that, uh, it, it's pretty cool to see drivers take ownership stakes in the business that are not just race teams. 
Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's kind of a new thing. Um, is it a new thing? Well, have we seen much of that? I'm trying to think. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's I what's exciting to me. I mean, obviously, Stuart, um, you know, had some involvement or has some involvement with SRX. And um, it, it's just it's cool to see the the drivers take some 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 new different angles to their, um, you know, paying it back or whatever you want to call it to the business or just involving themselves in the business other than just running cars themselves. So um, mm. I wish them the best. That'll be be pretty cool. Yeah, well, at least these drivers aren't starting a, a small media company because that'd be the stupidest thing two drivers could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the uh, the the one thing I will say on this is I believe there is a bit of consternation around the world outlaws and some of the decisions that are made amongst that groups there for the teams and drivers. So I don't fully know it, but I believe that's where maybe some of that frustration is coming from. Um, as I've heard, you know, some friends mm-hmm. in the dirt world have talked about that at times. So we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, as you put it, cool to see those guys investing uh, and, you know, giving back to the sport and trying to make it better than the day they joined it. Some news from mm-hmm. Formula E. They are doing some preseason testing, uh, but had a garage fire where one of the batteries from the DS Penske car driven by Robert Schwartzman caught fire while being worked on in the Williams advanced engineering garage area, uh, which is the group that sort of builds those batteries and helps maintain them and everything. So one person was transported to the local hospital for precautionary checks. Um, and they've basically canceled testing for today and tomorrow, uh, going forward. So some interesting times out of Formula E it's the, you know, if the mainstream media saw this, It'd be the whole, look, electric cars catch fire thing, but we'll see what really comes of that and what the cause was. Um, hmm. So we'll, we'll keep a check on it, but interesting times, and hopefully everyone's okay. So we promised it. Formula One, the U.S. Grand Prix was this past weekend. <laughs> I do have to do one thing to start, and that is point out my T-shirt. If you're watching on YouTube, you will notice it is the American flag right here with a certain somebody <laughs> by the name of Logan Sargent. A point <laughs> score in Formula One. First time for an American since 1993 and Michael Andretti. Let's just give a round of applause for Logan Sargent for getting it done. Getting it done for America. Okay. <laughs> We've never done that. Can we? Josh, can in his play? own country, nonetheless. Yeah, can you play the national anthem real quick uh, or something? Because we need more America in this thing. <laughs> oh, man. Moving on. Oh, man. Congrats, Logan. Uh, he sent me a DM, which was very cool in all his business. Uh, to, total humble brag. But, yeah, we're proud of you. That's awesome to see. We like to see Americans there on the international go. stage doing well. So one of the big things <laughs> from this past weekend, I erupted the social media sphere talking about track limits. So essentially what got me frustrated was Friday night, I get back to my hotel room in Florida. I have just qualified 10th, felt pretty successful, happy about it, had dinner, get back there, doing some notes, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to check in on the USGP. What happened in qualifying? (laughs) So I turn on the qualifying highlights, and it gets to where suddenly I'm watching the end of this, and Max Verstappen wins the poll. And I'm like, oh, cool, by .005. Great job. Then they go, that lap has been deleted. I think, okay, he cut the course. He had to have cut the course through the S's. Something has gone wrong here. You're being disingenuous. No, no, no. Hold on. You already knew. You already knew. No, I did not. I didn't fully know at the time because I'd seen some stuff on social media, but I wasn't like fully sure. I then watched them go to this replay and I see a car that goes through turn 19 at Coda, which in NASCAR, we run all the way out there where it's really bumpy in the off side, you know, in the runoff, but it's not really even that much better to be out there i see a car that goes onto a curb on the exit of a corner now a 150 mile an hour corner i'm assuming for those cars goes onto the curb goes back on the asphalt and yet was deemed to be outside of the track limits because its left sides were on the other side of a white painted line on the tarmac this was one of the most unbelievably stupid things i've ever seen in my life um 
and I've, you want to know more of my rant on track limits, you can go on our social medias and you can see where I condense it down to a minute and a half. And I'm not going to rehash that whole thing. But Landon, the drivers then asked Formula One, can you please make the line bigger? Because we can't even see it. <laughs> because this is so dumb that since it's paved on the exit, we're now deciding that track is actually just the asphalt section and it is no longer the curbing or was it beyond the curbing like it would be in other tracks that have grass. They wouldn't even say anything. But because there's asphalt on the other side of the curbing, we're now deciding the track ends by these white lines. It makes me my blood boil. It goes against every fabric of being a professional race car driver. And I did find that one of the greatest qualifying laps in the history of Formula One for the pole, Imola, 2000, the year 2000, by Mika Hakkinen, where he drops his right sides in the grass through the top chicane and still gets the pole, would have been a lap deleted in the current rules that we have in Formula One. That's how dumb this is. Now, I do want to get your opinion on this, but before we go any further, hold on. I do want to point out that, that Josh did find that before the qualifying session that I watched, which I watched the highlights, Martin Brundle had some pretty incendiary things to say about the idea of going over these track limits. He said basically about the idea that they painted the white line more. He said drivers are deep inside mm -hmm. the cockpit. They cannot hardly see the white painted lines that are supposed to be judged at 100, 150, 200 miles per hour. So basically that's why they made the white line bigger. He said, this is a track that IndyCar let the drivers make the track up and frankly looked ridiculous in turn 19 because they were running so wide, which means you're 100 meters closer to the marshals, the crowd, and then the track was designed for while carrying more speed. You can't just let the drivers make the track up, but we have this frustration of these drivers having to judge if they're exactly on that white line or not at high speed with a relatively big racing car. If you carry more speed through the corner and going wide, you're gaining an advantage. He goes on to list a series of options that other tracks have. Like at Monaco, you have walls. At Abu Dhabi, they have a drop-off on the exit of basically turn one. Uh, and then you obviously have grass and gravel. This, to me, this whole thing is just so ridiculous because we're talking about keeping race cars within white painted lines for no reason because he thinks it looks ridiculous to use asphalt. What is going on here, Landon? I don't know. I think... I think this all started by deciding that everything needed to be paved for safety reasons. Um, and so I understand that. And I, you know, when you have different racing series racing at these tracks, um, I think the MotoGP riders would probably rather slide across asphalt in their leathers than they would flip through a gravel pit with, you know, <laughs> or grass or wherever, yep. where thing, their bike, their bodies can grab, they can, you know, whatever. So um, I, I think that it's just, you know, and it's also safer for us too. It's easier, easier to slow down. I mean, gravel's not necessarily, gravel's nice um, because it stops the car pretty quickly, but it's hard to get out of gravel. It's messy and um, you have to, you know, throw a caution or whatnot. But I, I don't know. I, I know this is just something that, that started uh, as safety and now uh, decades later, you could say, um, we're seeing the unintended consequences of something where it's like we're arguing over the dumbest thing in the world. We're now we're just <laughs> creating an artificial racetrack. We're just creating an arbitrary racetrack, right? We're, yep. we're painting lines to create a racetrack, not creating a real natural racetrack, um, and allowing the drivers to have creativity and and use their their courage and and whatever. I don't know. We're saying, you yes. know, you have people that are like absolute track limits purists saying race within the white lines. And it's just like, that is the dumbest, lamest assignment <laughs> I've ever heard of in motorsports. <laughs> I get is. it. I was like, okay, we'll do what you say as, as you know, sir, race director. But it's just like, that is stupid. <laughs> it, I, it is. You know. It will. It is because. It goes against the very idea of what it means to be a race car driver, which is to push – and I, this video I have, put, you know, I explain all this. But it's basically to push the physical realm to the possibilities of what's possible within physics. Like that, that's the whole thing we're what, trying to do. So, like what's – yeah. I mean you're still – hang on. You're still doing that with painted white lines. 
right? You're, yeah, but, you're pushing it to, yeah. the, to the limit of physics, to the limit of that white line, but it's just like, it's not compelling, right? Like watching a racing driver take a car to its limit all the way up to the grass or all the mm-hmm. way up to the point of, to the wall where like the penalty is, is, is damage to his car or, or an end to his race or, or, or the penalty of losing the lap, you know, and, and like the car going dipping a wheel off track and then spinning out or, or just losing so much momentum that he's going to lose five positions or he's going to lose that half a second or half a 10th or, you know, the, he's on a pole run where now it's just like, Oh, you can go over the white line and nothing happens to you other than, you know, the computer deletes your lap. Like that is, there's not, there's nothing really compelling about that for, for eight year old Landon who was inspired by racing drivers. Yes. You just nailed it. That's you just conceptualized what I've been trying to say, which is this idea of like, wow, I didn't even think about it this way that it's not interesting seeing a race car suddenly decide that there's a white line. It cannot, cannot cross. Right on the X of a corner, but it's really compelling to see a race car get its right side tires within centimeters of the grass and be had, you know, the edge of adhesion. Right. I do think mm-hmm. the one thing that's funny about this whole turn 19 area at Coda, which, you know, has been the, the problem is just from running there early this year in the NASCAR Xfinity series and trucks, uh, that runoff area that they said they have one cars to be using. I don't know how many would venture very far out there because it is basically like a launch ramp in terms of bumps out there. Oh, it's rougher than hell. For stock cars, it's hard to use. For them, I don't even think it would be possible. So, like, it's, it seems even dumber yeah. from that point, you know, view. You know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't even be able to go out there. So it's just so dumb. Um, let us know in I the mean, comments, and for those that want to say way. it looks silly to watch, for those that want to say it looks silly to watch, you know, cars go out that wide, like, okay, I'm with you. It does look silly. You know why? Because you've made the track wider than it needs to be. And so like big wide racetracks are kind of silly. I think narrow tight racetracks are compelling and interesting, right? You know, obviously there's a balance to that because Monaco is compelling and interesting and cool to watch, but then, you know, there's no passing. So um, there's a balance to everything, but it's just like, for those of you that is just like, Oh, you know, it's not cool to watch a car just go wide around a corner. And it's like, okay, I agree. They shouldn't have paved it. (laughs) Yep. Or, Or I don't Maybe the next generation of track designers will come up with some kind of, you know, surface to put down that is has less grip. I don't, I don't know. Well, Josh, producer Josh had a good idea. Like, if you look at the green area on the other side of the curbs at Coda, why couldn't that just be actual grass, like a strip of grass that would be count? You know, basically would be not in your best interest to put your right sides there, right? So you want to go all the way out there or use a little bit more. You know, you're going to end up in grass, but you still have to pay from there on out for MotoGP riders and, you know, for cars not getting stuck. But there is the natural barrier that we've known to be the barrier at most racetracks that are naturally, to, you know, built before the year, probably 2000, um, to be there. That could be an interesting fix to this. Mm-hmm. So it will continue. Who knows? <laughs> I will keep fighting the fight for no track limits. I will not stop. I will not be <laughs> silenced. Uh, for all of you out there that disagree with me, you're wrong. And for those of you that do agree with me, I appreciate it. Keep fighting the fight. This is going to go away. And I have, I'm going to say something here that I don't usually say. I have some inside info that I'm not the only one frustrated. And I think you've made, maybe a lot of these fans that support it have not noticed that not many drivers have come out in support of track limits. Well, let's just say there's a lot of frustration in the Formula One paddock right now about current track limits and how ridiculous it looks. So just know that you, mm-hmm. are, you are in the minority if you support these things. Uh, speaking of being in the minority, the second and third place cars of the U.S. Grand Prix were disqualified. Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc for having the planks on the bottom of their car and more specifically, basically the skid blocks having too much wear. They essentially had one millimeter of wear, which was too much. Um, and this is for those of you that watched Speed Channel growing up and watched F1 in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s, even in the NBC, will know this term, the FI legality plank, as said by Steve Matchett every five seconds. Uh, <laughs> and how these, these planks have been around for decades, essentially. They're the, the orange mm-hmm. bits that you see leaving 
bits on the track through El Rouge at Spa. And they've always been there to be sort of a, ga- a guard against putting the cars on the ground from the period, I believe, in the late 80s mm-hmm. when they were sparking everywhere and then, you know, decided just look, it was getting ridiculous. And the cars were basically running flat in the ground. It was too much. Well, they don't always apparently check this or whatever. But one of the other interesting things is the USGP was a sprint format weekend, which means they basically get one practice and they qualify in the sprint race and then so on and so forth. And they don't get a lot of practice. And basically Mercedes said, hey, look, we usually use that practice to get this right because of the fuel load that they have to have to start the, the race as that burns off. And then obviously the idea of racing where you might go offline and break real hard and that sort of thing, you might wear that. So they just didn't have that chance to check it per se or get it correct. Nonetheless, uh, pretty interesting stuff in Formula 1 to have these cars DQ'd for that plank wear, which hasn't happened in a long time. I, you know, it's that's interesting uh, that it, that happened. One thing that stood out to me is it looked like Verstappen's car was a little bit higher than um, than the others, which um, if that is the case, I wonder if that was related to the the quote-unquote lack of speed on the Red Bulls there earlier in the week. Obviously, Mm. still in the race. Um, And their, you know, his mechanical grip on race trim, you know, at the end of the race paid off well enough that his pace was where it needed to be. But, you know, obviously, if if they sacrificed a little bit of ride height, um, which I, you know, Coda has historically, even though they resurfaced a lot of that track, Coda is historically a rough track for them. They come. That's going to make, what's that? They commented on that for sure. It's really bumpy. Right. So, you know, it's a, it's historically a rough track for them, which is going to make the engineers, you know, have to choose between platform and, and ground clearance. Right. And there's a pretty, pretty correlated, you know, it's very closely correlated to speed. So, um, I, I think, uh, it's interesting that, that you didn't see a whole lot of speed out of the Red Bulls until it really mattered. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, if the, the, obviously the Ferraris and the Mercedes just went a little bit too far trying to get every ounce of speed that they could get out of it. It's pretty, yeah. And I know that's been a thing for Mercedes, right. When they had their porpoising issues, uh, was to try and figure out the ride height and what was correct. And Red Bull historically has run a little bit more rake. If you look at their cars and rake is basically the front being down compared to the rear. And I think this has been a pretty historical thing over the last couple of years that they've run more rake. And you can see that in their cars, which then obviously raises the back up. So they're creating their downforce in a different way or to find that they, you know, because of how they have the balance of pressure, which is essentially where the, the middle point of the downforce is, you know, maybe it's a little bit more skewed to the rear so they can put a little more rake in the cars, whatever. Right. There's, there's all sorts of factors mm-hmm. there. It's not really just like do one as you and I both know, but maybe some of the listeners don't when you, it's not like you put the car, the front end down the rear up and it's like make more downforce. It's like, no, there's all sorts of other right. things that happen that affects it's all package. Everything's a package in a race car. You, everything affects everything. And so you, you're basically pushing and pulling on different levers and such as to what you want to get out of that race car to find its optimal position. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, as you pointed out, that could have been what stopped them from having the same issue essentially as the Mercedes mm-hmm. and the Ferrari. And as they try to, uh, to get to them. Well, uh, in our show notes, by the way, <laughs> we just have a really cool picture <laughs> of Mon Pablo Montoya full opposite lock in a Williams F1 car in 2004. Um, by posted by Matt Bishop, and I just thought it was the coolest picture ever. Uh, before we move on, though, there is some discussion happening around the sprint races. I don't know what your opinion is on sprint races. I don't know if we've talked about it too much, but personally, they don't do a lot for me. Uh, but I do understand that more race, you know, race cars on racetracks is the best thing possible for the show at a race. It just makes common sense. I think NASCAR, we've learned that maybe we've even gone too far in the lack of on track. Um, so, what is your opinion, Landon? on sprint races do we think they add they want to basically see that they're basically deciding they're not delivering enough excitement um and therefore there's some discussions about how they could be more exciting maybe it's a million dollar prize or something else that would make these more worth it um you know something like reversing the grid that sort of thing to me i like cars on a racetrack we discovered in NASCAR, you've gone too far without it, but I don't know. Sprint races to me, 
don't seem to be delivering what people hoped. Um, I, I guess at the end of the day for me, I, we go through this with heat races all the time, <laughs> right? And stock car racing. <laughs> we all, we, we, we think the fans want to see more racing. Qualifying is boring. We need action on the track. On track action is good. That's what they come to see. Having a, another race before the race, da, 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 is, we've, it's been tried a thousand times for some reason at the professional level, um, unless like it, it's almost like the motorsports rule for me, and I hate to just overgeneralize things. Things, nothing in life is absolute, right? But the motorsports rule for me is that if a heat race doesn't mean anything to actually being able to race in the in the main race, then it's then it's almost worthless. So damn, that's smart. If you wanted to have a sprint, if you wanted to have a sprint race where the 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 top 10 transfer, you know, finishing drivers got to race in the main race. And then the 10 that didn't, um, don't get to race on Sunday. Then now the sprint race would be interesting. Hmm. But if it's just another way to set the grid, I don't, people are not, it's not that interesting. It's not, it's not the race that pays. Um, I know they have points and they, people try to do things like that, but it's just like, it's not the race that pays their bills. It's just not. And so unless you can tie it a little bit closer to the race that pays their bills, the best heat racing in all of motorsports is the Chili Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. You have to advance. It's a motorsports. It's a racing tournament. Um, and NASCAR tried heat races. It just the only time heat racing is interesting in NASCAR is at the Bristol Dirt Race, where it actually related to advancing into the main event. Yep. Or or the Daytona 500. Gatorade duel. The or duels. the Daytona 500. The duel. Yep. 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 No, I think your that's the smartest thing possibly ever said on this podcast, and that's pretty scary. But basically, for all <laughs> top-level motorsports, all you need to know, if you're going to add another race, it's got to mean something for you making it to the actual big race. Otherwise, it just mm -hmm. doesn't have – it's not going to do what you hope it's going to do. And you're so right. We have seen this time and time again, different formats, all these things. But at the end of the day, everyone knows there's a main race and an undercard. And if the undercard doesn't have a value to get into the main race, then it really doesn't have a value. It's just a placeholder for something else that possibly could be done there. Um, so I love that. There you go, F1. Uh, you know what? Open the grid up. Send cars home at sprint races. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, that would be interesting. Speaking of opening the grid, we promised we would dive into this article by Jenna Fryer and the Associated Press. Uh, it was a column. That just recently that came out today, Tuesday, October twenty fourth. The title being "F one bosses say Andretti snub isn't personal, even though it feels like and looks like a grudge." She goes on to get into how Andretti Global has committed to joining Formula One, uh, so much so that they've spent millions of dollars building a car to test in a wind tunnel in Germany. Um. Whereas Michael Andretti basically said we had to roll the dice to get going and had pictures of this car. Mm -hmm. But there's some really incredible quotes in here from, uh, you know, all throughout the F1 world and the motorsports world in that, you know, really it comes down to uh, money is a big discussion, right? Where Mohammed Ben Salam, who is the president of the FIA, you know, allowed the Andretti deal to go through this process of or expression of interest process. Uh, to be approved to go into Formula 1, and now it's up to the FOM, the, the media rights holders. His quote in this article was, it's about the money, it's only about the money. That's what's personal. They don't want to share the money. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting. Um, it then goes further into I Total Wolf. I said something like that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, hold on, that hold on. we basically been on this? <laughs> well, we have, but let me get a little further. So then it goes further into saying, you know, Total Wolf had a quote saying, I don't know him, meaning Michael Andretti, although he has met him. He said, I mean, he's one of the great names of the sport, and I think Andretti as a racing team, racing team has been doing well in the United States. There's no grudge. If you haven't really met someone, you can't have a personal grudge. Although Andretti said he had met Wolf at the Miami Grand Prix. Uh, when he was trying to get his bid going. Uh, Gunther Steiner, who's the head of Haas, he's the principal of Haas, which is considered an American team, uh, basically said he just, it's not personal, but, you know, we don't want this to happen. Um, and then mm -hmm. the most incendiary part of this whole thing, 
was late at late in the column at the end. Uh, Andretti is clearly serious about F1, and the FAA found no legal reason to deny his bid to bring GM General Motors to the series. But F1 doesn't want to doesn't seem to want him, and by excluding him, F1 is coming off as club racing. Not a series that showcases the greatest innovations in motorsports, but a series for those invited to compete and be a part of the club. It might just be an argument Andretti needs to have decided in a court of law. Whereas there was a also one other point to bring in here um, where she said they, there was three different people with direct, direct knowledge of the conversations confirmed to the Associated Press that F1 asked General Motors if it would partner with someone other than Andretti. Whoa. This is like a reality show. <laughs> that is, it is like, you know, <clears throat> Andretti is such a big name that do you think that these owners, these F1 owners do not, they know like why were they're, they're letting, they have power over the Andretti name. Why would they just let the Andretti name come into their space? It's not. It's it's even more than money. <laughs> it is, it is exclusivity. It is like leverage over Andretti. They they would rather, if it was about money, like, like making it. They would rather just let some other Tom, Dick, and Harry rich guy who wants to be an F one team owner come in, pay his way into the sport, and then probably go out of business five years later, ten years later, <laughs> like every other aspiring race team owner does. But Andretti can actually take something from these guys. It's it's funny you say that because the a lot of the argument has been, well, they you know, they need to add something to the sport. Well, they need to have okay, it's Andretti. That's a pretty big name adding to the sport. But will they really bring new fans? I don't know. It's Andretti. <laughs> then they said you need a manufacturer. Well, they went and got GM. General Motors, one of the biggest manufacturers in the world, and obviously with the top in the United States. Um, and so now, you know, then it's, well, okay, maybe we can get this General Motors group to go to someone else in the, in the paddock and not have to bring this Andretti group in. I think, I think that right there is me, me that validates everything I just said. Yeah. That's right there is what I'm validating what I just said. It is, they're scared of him. Mm -hmm. They are. They're scared. They're afraid. They're scared yeah. that he's going to take their sponsors. They're scared that he's going to take their F1 or their, their American partnerships. Um, it is Andretti Global and they know it and they're, you know, in the in the grand uh, in the grand scheme of things, they do not want to give up this position to such a household name in global motorsports. This is Ooh. this is going to go. be how's that yeah. for an episode? No, I think it's perfect. Great place to end in the uh, for me in the NASCAR world. We are heading to Martinsville. I will be racing uh, in the Xfinity Series on Saturday and do it back to pit reporting on Sunday as I'll do the last two. Uh, cup races of the year on the tv side but yeah i think we're gonna follow that story this is gonna be interesting great pod landon thanks for doing it fun times <laughs> thank you peace thank you so much for listening to the money lap please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice and be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all of this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.